I have to be delusional enough to think people are going to listen to this. It's thunderstorming outside. There's lightning. Hit me with it. Come on. How smart can you be when you have huge mantids? Okay, he, him. Go put your pronouns and go sit in the corner. I'll take care of this. It's just common sense. Good morning, Mr. Gator. How are you doing? Good morning, commoner. How are you? I'm having a great time. I'm excited to talk about some teeth, some toothpaste. Let's see if we can move some units here. I'm excited. Nice. <laughs> so for anyone listening who may not be familiar with you, could you give a really brief introduction about who you are and how you ended up on Twitter? Oh, man, who I am. Well, I am probably one of the few dentists on Twitter. I wasn't always on Twitter. I, I'm somewhat new. and My account is less than one year old. Hmm. I started the account because it's funny, really. It's a good story. So I'll back up. I was a lurker on Twitter. I used to, I had an account. I never tweeted. I would just use it as my own curated form of news, right? And mm -hmm. I was just like, it was my, it was like my blog of 2017 and on. And I would just learn all about these different topics. And, and I felt like it was this cool corner of the internet, but I never felt like I had anything to say. So um, I think it was, it started the chain of reaction for me finding the jungle was um, through Ed Lattimore. I followed Ed Lattimore for a long time. And then he kind of was retweeting and talking about Ajax. And then I followed Ajax and he was giving me so much good insight on you know enhancing my strength and fitness and stuff like that and then ajac one day this must have been like 20 2020 or 2021 ajac posted he'd quote tweeted ox and he was mm. like he was like there's a lot of bullshit on on fitness twitter but this guy knows everything there is to know mm. and that was like that was like such an endorsement because Ajax does not give out compliments like that so <laughs> I was like all right let me click this and I was like what the hell is this like this guy he's like a cartoon he doesn't at the time Ox was like doing these like lives but he was wearing like <laughs> like like this like face mask and doing like voice changing and I was like what the hell is going on and I was reading through his stuff and I was like wow like he's giving really good fitness advice like fills in some of the gaps that that I didn't get from Ajax and I was like all right and then obviously Ox started I started noticing that you know other people had this like bow tie handle and then I went down this I remember I was laying on my couch one day and I just like went down this rabbit hole of the bow tie I think I followed Ox for like probably about a week before I figured out that other people used bow tie and not mm. it wasn't just bow tie Ox so it's funny, people people usually find bull first, but I found ox first. Yeah. And then um, Fawn was like interacting with him on the timeline. And then I clicked it. I clicked her page and I was like, wait a second. You're telling me that you have all these freaking, you know, dudes on Twitter who are listening to skincare advice. <laughs> I was like, I was like, all right now now you really have my attention because i think that people would want to listen to what i have to say mm -hmm. and so i i like started to, i thought there was like an application process honestly i was me like, too i thought i had yeah, to ask I know, right? yeah they, they don't 
and and it's good that th that this is like kind of a, a, a misdirection that people assume right because it makes you have to really work for it to, mm -hmm. to start so i was like i found there there was like i was like wait there's no website about this jungle thing like how how is there no website and then i saw that there was like this website but it wasn't really updated and like wasn't really official and then i saw i i started to see that that bull kept mentioning night owl mm. like i i kind of i joke with him about this now but i kind of thought that night owl was like his executive assistant so <laughs> it's like if i i was like if i message bull there's no shot he's gonna answer me so, but i was like if i message this night owl guy i have a better chance so i messaged him and i was like hey um is there like anything i have to do to like join this thing he's like no man just just show up and get noticed and i was like all right so i deleted my personal account not that i like i said i never tweeted on there anyway um i deleted my personal account i started bowtie gator i wanted just bowtie gator not i didn't want to add the dds at the end but but someone else had had the gator uh oh. uh but he wasn't really active so i didn't really feel i didn't mm -hmm. feel bad just just uh stealing his sauce you know so um <laughs> So yeah, then and then here I am. So there's really not a lot of dentists on Twitter. Why are there no dentists on Twitter? Dentists are terrified of Twitter. Really? Yes. Um so here here there's a couple of reasons why. Number one is to get patience, right? That's mm -hmm. that's number one. You want to get your name out there so that people are like, oh, I saw you, I saw your social media account i would love to be a patient of the office that's like the that's like the main reason mm -hmm. why. the second reason why is because um they want they want to show off their work to get recognized by the dental community and to go on the lecture circuit and and to speak to other dentists okay and some and some people do both at the same time by the way it doesn't it's it's not like it's not like it has to be one or the other. So uh, Instagram is really the place where dentists congregate. And, mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because um, it's it's photo based, right? Mm -hmm. So dentists don't want to talk. They, they don't want to talk about what they're doing, why they do it. They want to show you a beautiful before and after picture. And they don't want any dialogue. They don't want, they just want it to be a one-way street. They want it. They want to show you what they want to show you. And they want you to see it and that's it. And so Twitter really is the antithesis of that entire concept, right? Mm -hmm. Twitter is mainly about words. Like, yeah, you can, you can certainly um, show pictures. Like it's not like you can't show before and after photos, but it is, it is certainly a, a place where you are inviting dialogue and controversy and mm -hmm. dentists want anything but that they would rather <laughs> they would rather retire than than debate with patients or other dentists and it still happens to a degree on instagram but the the format of instagram is way less keen on on the dialogue like the it, you know even if you just look at the the ui of instagram compared to twitter mm -hmm. the comment section is so squished it's so tiny and like, you really have to click in there. And even when you click in, it's like a mess. It's, it's genuinely visually designed that 
the only purpose of of uh of comments on on instagram is to like put flame emojis and like and, and <laughs> it's not it's not meant to have have a discussion right so then it's tying back i know i'm getting a little long-winded here but tying back is because if a dentist posts a picture on twitter they're gonna get oh why the why the fuck did you do that that was over treatment why didn't you do this why didn't you do that um you know you, you didn't have to do that how much you know you probably overcharged blah 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 like all this stuff terrifies dentists and then not only that but you know most dentists are advocates of fluoride and twitter is notorious for being like a you know fluoride free kind of uh, environment so mm. all these things kind of together is, is really um why there there are very very few dentists on on twitter and even the ones that exist on twitter <laughs> more or less are like kind of bitcoin accounts that like it's just like dentists that talk about bitcoin um the dentists that are on Twitter don't talk about their dentistry. Would you say that that is specific to dentists or is that medical professionals overall that don't want to invite the controversy about how they treated their patients? Actually, you know, I, I think that physicians are a little, have a little bit better of a presence on Twitter. Mm. Um, but again, the, it's not really a dialogue, right? Mm. Like they don't, they don't, engage much but there is a much more what the physicians are much better on twitter i'll put it that way dentists dentists are kind of unique in that in that respect compared to some other disciplines of healthcare so you brought up the fluoride thing which i think is huge as you mentioned on twitter so imagine i'm brand new why is fluoride bad for me okay this is a big question <laughs> um it's so complicated and and to be honest we don't really fully understand and and i think that that is that is really the core of it right is that dentists blindly recommend something that they actually don't fully understand because let's let's talk about something that is high level concept in in the body Okay. Mm -hmm. We have tiny particles, right? Mm -hmm. That have wide ranging systemic effects, you know, like, for example, lead paint, everyone's heard about lead paint, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Lead paint is, is a problem because the lead gets in your body and causes destruction kind of everywhere. Okay. Uh -huh. It's like, it's this nondescript, um, enemy that you can't see you can't taste it you can't feel it but you just start to feel like shit mm. okay fluoride in a way is kind of similar okay and it's not th this is again this is an explanation for people who don't understand there are many differences between lead and fluoride i have to say that because otherwise i'll get yelled at <laughs> um but fluoride is very similar in the in the sense that it's it's kind of everywhere right mm -hmm. it and it's in our water, it's in our toothpaste, it's in it's in a lot of products, it's in medications, a lot of people don't realize that it's in medications. And so it's it has an affinity for a lot of sites in the body, specifically in the brain, and the thyroid. And it's very hard to quantify 
kind of because it's everywhere it's very hard to quantify what it's doing right mm -hmm. and so there are arguments that it collects in in the pineal gland and it causes calcifications of the pineal gland the pineal gland is is some people call it your third eye it's in between mm -hmm. your your two eyebrows if you just point your your index finger right there um and that that regulates a bunch of functions in the body it also the thyroid right mm -hmm. uh, thyroid is known to affect uh fluoride is known to affect the thyroid function so and, and the list goes on right there's there was actually just this thread that that someone posted and it was like links of how basically if you read this and you knew nothing about fluoride you would think that you're knocking on death's door just because of the fluoride mm -hmm. so but and and that now we've kind of highlighted all the bad but but let's back up for a second because fluoride is it's very difficult to study it's just think about it, even if you have no knowledge of of medical research right you need to understand how can you study what fluoride is doing to the thyroid what fluoride is doing to the pineal gland what it's doing to your immune system what it's doing to your bones what it's doing to your teeth what it's doing to anything how do you even begin to study that right if i mm -hmm. tell you that we want to study smoking and lung cancer it's a lot easier of a study design because you can take smokers and you can take non-smokers mm. But fluoride is very hard to study because it's everywhere. It's in the water. It's in it's in uh, medications. It's in toothpastes. It's just it's so ubiquitous and widespread. That's why I kind of use the lead paint example, right? How can you study what lead paint's doing if every wall is painted with lead paint? Mm. You can't. So we re we rely on animal studies, which have value, but they have limitations. So my approach to fluoride, right, is that look you're probably not going to be able to completely avoid it. Like, yeah, if you really want, if you really want, you can go, you can go nuts, right? You can install home water filtration. You can install, you can, you can buy products that have no, that have no fluoride. You can, you can really make it conscious, albeit expensive and, and mm -hmm. pretty intensive effort to avoid it. But what happens when you, when you leave the house, right? You're, you're going to get it somehow. So my, my approach to it is, is it bad? Probably. How bad is it? It's hard to say. But why, why add to your exposure? So my approach to it is do everything you can to minimize it. But th there's, there's this... Um, you know, there's this term called orthorexia, which is which is that when you start to obsess over every metric, every little substance that enters your body and every food choice, it becomes a sickness, right? Yep. So I think that the healthy approach is to understand that you will never really be fluoride free. Like, let's, let's understand that you will never be fully fluoride free. But there are choices that you can make that you can reduce it. And there are things that you can replace it with that will give you the benefit that they claim it has, which, which by the way, the benefit it has in teeth is true. 
it it makes your teeth superhuman right but even if your teeth are superhuman you can't you can't you can't use fluoride to outdo a bad diet mm. you can't so but it will make your teeth more resistant right i always like to say it's like you know if you if you're in a if you have like a video game character right and you pick up some like power pack that gives you 120 health instead of 100 that that's like what fluoride does to your enamel but the problem is if you get shot in the face in that video game it doesn't matter if you have 100 health or 200 health you're going to be dead mm. so sugar and acids are the same thing yeah sure your your teeth are going to be more resistant to breaking down but at the end of the day it's a band-aid it's not it's not gonna fix all your problems so it's reminding me a bit of like the seed oil debate where you want to avoid as much as possible but you can't choose you can't make every single one of your meals for the rest of your life without seed oil especially no. if you go outside um but it in like the rankings of things that you should be concerned about in regards to your health your diet comes first, your exercise comes second, and fluoride is somewhere in that ranking lower. Like it's not something that you should be terrified of because it's not something you can completely avoid. Yes. So if you wanna, if you wanna pick like a somewhere, like we'll go somewhere in the in the spectrum and pick the area where you can start to worry about fluoride is like if you are above twenty percent body fat, you cannot worry about fluoride, but <laughs> But I would worry about fluoride before you start to worry about touching receipt paper. Yeah, I saw that tweet right. too. <laughs> so, so somewhere in between, like if you're under 20% body fat, but like you're, you can worry about fluoride before you start worrying about touching receipt paper, because yes, that's a whole other thing, but like fluoride is more important than that, but less important than, than being over 20% body fat. It's really interesting how people over-index on these really specific things that, yes, are bad for you and you should enjoy, you should avoid. But compared to the the impact or the ROI of these decisions versus diet and exercise, it's, it's not even comparable. But they over-index so much on it, especially on the internet. It's pretty funny, honestly. Well, I don't think they actually over-index. I just think I just think they're talking heads. And, ah. <laughs> and I, I think, look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to bash talk anyone, but I, I just, I just think that a lot of people and there are exceptions to the rule, but a lot of people who go on Twitter and, and preach about all these things that are bad for you are, are at home living a very different life. Yeah. And, and even, and if they're not, I wouldn't want to trade places with them. <laughs> That's a fair assessment. Um, okay. Very helpful stuff to give some context because I've never really known exactly where to put it in my list of things to be terrified of, but now I, have a I, hope, I hope I'm like, I'm, I'm making things understandable, but also I don't. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, that's a good call out. So let me just walk back through what you've said. So basically fluoride is very difficult to avoid and we aren't sure exactly how big its impact is because we can't do a trial with people who are free of fluoride and people who are experience or intaking fluoride all the time. We can do animal studies, but they're not perfect representations of human beings, obviously. And in terms of the chemical reason why fluoride is bad, it affects your pineal gland. Pineal gland? Pineal, yep. Yep. And your thyroid. Yes. And, and 
what is it doing? Like, is it dumping the wrong type of hormone out now or what's the problem with it? If I understand what you're asking me, is that what is it doing to the pineal gland? Is that- Yeah, or so what's it doing? And then what is the pineal gland responding? So is it dumping too much hormone into your body now? Or is okay. it- So so here's kind of where things go. This is where things get gray, okay? The pineal gland- to a degree, does calcify over the course of life, okay? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's thought to be a part of the aging process. Um, but in in the studies of people who have died, where they do autopsies and they check the brain, the highest concentration of fluoride in the body is in the pineal gland in dead people. Mm. Okay, so basically what happens is, let's say, let's say you live to be 107 years old, okay, and you donate your body to science, and you die at 107, you lived a very long, healthy life, and then they say, all right, we're going to take her brain out and see, see what happened that she lived to be 107. And then they, you know, they take your brain and they, they analyze it and they look at the pineal gland and it's like a rock, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like hard as a rock. And then they compare to even the rest of your bones and your teeth, all the fluoride, it's like over, I think the number is like over 20,000 parts per million are in the pineal gland. So that we're, we're making a backwards assumption that fluoride is the reason why the pineal gland is calcified at the at, towards the end of ender stages of life. Mm-hmm. And so the the concept is that okay, because there's so much freaking fluoride in this gland and fluoride is not a naturally occurring ion in the body, it must be leading to the calcification of this gland. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, that does make okay. sense. And what is the consequence of a calcified pineal gland? Well, think about it. If let's use another organ, for example, what do you think would happen to the heart if it became hard? It wouldn't work nearly right. as well as it could have. <laughs> so, so it, when you have the pineal gland is getting hard, it's not going to work. So the pineal gland has has a lot of functions okay the the, but the main thing that the pineal gland does is secrete melatonin Mm. okay but melatonin has you know everyone thinks it's just something that makes you sleepy but melatonin has wide-ranging effects in the body in fact grim grimhood is is an awesome research resource to check out about melatonin he probably knows more than anyone I know about melatonin. He gave me the ran- the whole rundown on a on another yeah. episode. Yep. So so it's it it is it's not good. Like right? Like that is a wide ranging hormone that that affects many parts of the body. So when you look at it through that lens, right? Just based on the pineal gland, if we can find something to to mineralize the teeth that doesn't involve fluoride then yeah, we should. So let's let's shift gears a little bit and let's go back to the beginning. Why did you originally pick dentistry? I didn't know anything about dentistry when I picked it. 
I didn't even know what a crown was. Like legitimately, I had no idea what I was doing. So um, I went to a school where it was very heavily pre-med. Like that, like my college was like everybody and their mother was pre-med. It was just part of the culture at the college. And I went into, I went into school, honestly, when I went into college, my, my dream was to work for Google at the time. It was like the coolest company ever. Mm. You know? I didn't know what I would do there, but I just knew that I wanted to work there. <laughs> and um, so I went in, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I picked my major psychology because like I took AP psych in high school and I thought it was cool because I learned about like the Stanford prison experiment. These are not, these were not educated decisions. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I just really like picked something and I was like, fuck it, we'll do it, you know? So um, anyway, I was, I was doing psych as my major until I really figured out how I was going to work for Google. That was like, a, that was honest. I was like, let me just do this because I had to pick something and I didn't want to be undeclared. So I was like, let me just do that. So then I got to school and I was like, you know, meeting all these people and, and everyone was like, you know what, why don't you just do pre-med? This school's really good for pre-med. And like psych, you're like halfway there to pre-med. You just got to add a couple of harder sciences to your track. And like, you're basically there. It's like the same. It's like not a, a hard pivot at all. So I was like, all right, you know, again, people are like making, in my life decisions for me at the time like I didn't even know I was just like being guided into things I didn't even you know consciously decide that I mm -hmm. wanted um and I always had like a knack for school I was like I was a, the biggest slacker but like I could take a test like no one else you know like I, I was standardized tests I would crush them so like none of this stuff really affected me and I was just getting drunk every night in college anyway so anyway, I, you know, I started taking these pre-med thing and then, you know, word gets around the family that like, oh, Gator's, Gator's doing, doing pre-med. And like, now everybody's getting excited that I'm going to be a doctor. So I was like, you know, all right. I was like enjoying the attention a little bit, but I was like, I don't know, guys, like this is, this is just one of those things. Like, I don't know. We'll see how it pans out. So then after like my second or third year of college, I like, you know, now it's like, all right, you got to start studying for the MCAT. You got to start doing internships and stuff like that. And I went, I went to this very famous in my state, a very famous doctor who was like a, just a general, general doctor, like an internist. And I, and I shadowed him for the summer and I hated every second of it. I couldn't stand it. It was disgusting to me. I, we would come in, these pharmaceutical reps would, would cater the most exorbitant lunches. And I would sit in on the meetings after the lunches and they'd be like, oh, you should really, uh, you know, you should really up your prescription on this and that. And then, and then he'd be like, yeah, of course, you know, like send me some samples, blah, blah, blah. And I thought my, my gut reaction to that was this guy is, is in magazines, He's in, he, he's in newspapers. He's, he's on, on websites. Like he has plaques all over the wall of like, you know, and he was at like a very large hospital system, but in the outpatient clinic. So I was like, wait a second. So this, if this guy is as good as it gets, right. I don't think he's the only one doing this. It's probably even worse in other places. Mm. So and he would, he honestly, he was the best though. Like he treated me like gold. He would send me into the room and he would tell patients that like I was a resident and like they would, you know, look at me and treat me like with much more respect. He would like let me, and as a college kid, I mean, 
to have any patient interaction was like awesome. I mean, mm. I didn't do anything that was legal, but um, you know, he would let me take their blood pressure. He would let me check their heart rate. He would like, he would do the exam on them and like, let me examine them obviously under his, um, his supervision and stuff like that. So he was great. But what he didn't realize was that like, he was just giving me every reason under the sun to change my entire career path. Mm. I hated it. I mean, I saw everything from like lupus to to herpes, you know, I mean, could, because in an internal medicine office, you're seeing everything. They're like the first line of defense when people come into the doctor. So I saw everything and I was like, I went home and I was like, oh, like, what the fuck do I do now? And I had like a period of about four months where I was just, I had no direction. I was like, I was still in college. I was still going to class, but I was like, no idea what I was going to do with my life. And I like floated the idea to my parents that I was not going to go to med school. And like, they never pushed me to do it, but I guess I got them all excited about med school that like, it was devastating to them that I wasn't mm. going to be a doctor anymore. And so I go, I go to my dentist for a cleaning and it was like my childhood dentist he like typically didn't see adults but like I was in college and college is like that weird age where you're like mm. aging out of your childhood and you're like becoming adult like you have to do all these adult things but I still kept my dentist and I was probably the oldest one in the office at that point <laughs> but he was like you know understanding because I'm in college and stuff like that so I went for a cleaning and he's like so Gator how's uh how's college doing man you, you know you're gonna graduate in like a year and a half like what do you what, what's the plan and I was like, Doc, I don't know what the fucking plan is. Like, I just went, I just spent a summer interning at this, at the, for this doctor. And like, I don't want to do that. And like, he just looked at me and he's like, well, have you ever thought about being a dentist? And I was like, no, I don't even know what you do. Cause like, I never had cavities. So like, I, I just took care of my teeth. I didn't do anything crazy. It's not like I. I didn't, I never, I never spent time in the dentist. When, when I would go to the dentist, I just loved that they have Xbox in the waiting room. And like, to me, <laughs> that was like, that was like the coolest thing ever. So then I sat up and I'm like, all right. I was like, you have my attention. Like, tell me what it even is that you do. Like, all I do is come here twice a year and you put, you know, gross shit in my mouth that's supposed to taste like orange, but it doesn't. And I, I don't even know anything about your profession. And so he told me, he's like, look, you know, compared to all my doctor friends, I have a lot more freedom. You know, you have a lot more business freedom to, to not, you know, work for a big hospital, like you're kind of by yourself, like no one leaves you alone. You know, you're not as much of a, of, of a slave to the insurance system. And he's like, there's a lot of really cool technology. And like me, remember, I like wanted to work for Google. So I'm like, you know what, like, maybe this is maybe this is the answer, right? I'm like, maybe this is the answer. So I go home. And one of my friends was like, one of my friends had a, had a family member who worked at a dental school. And I was like, all right, can you, can you just find out like what I need to do? Cause I don't know anything about even like, I didn't even know that there was a separate test to take instead of the MCAT. So just to give you an idea of like, I'm letting other people just blindly <laughs> my life story. So anyway, long story short, I found out what I had to do and I was like, you know what? Screw it. This way, my parents won't be mad that I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm just going to be, you know, a slightly stupider doctor. Um, 
Um, and like, I get to not do medicine and like, and, and I can work with my hands. I don't have to have some farm reps coming in and like buying my soul. Right. So yep. I'm like thinking like, and you know, there's like a little bit of artistry to, you know, he really sold me on it. He was like, <laughs> it's artistry meets science meets technology meets business. And, and you know what? All of it is true. I just didn't, I, I had no proof and I really took his word for it. And I was like, fuck it. This is what my life is going to be looking back. Absolutely ridiculous that I did that. <laughs> so I got to dental school and I have, I still have no idea what they really do. Like at the end of the day, the guy who gave me advice was like a pediatric dentist. Uh, he, he didn't do any dentistry himself. You know, I mean, he's working on kids. Mm. So, and I get to school and everybody, all my classmates are like third and fourth generation dentists. They already have their entire life planned out. They already know they have an office waiting for them. They already know they've, they've put their hands in people's mouths. They've already like worked on people that they've, they've shadowed for hundreds of thousands of hours. And mind you, my dentist just wrote a piece of paper that I shadowed him for like two years because he knew that I was changing my career. I had no idea what a crown was. I didn't even really know what a filling was, to be honest. <laughs> and I'm sitting in dental school like, what did I just do? I remember the first week of school, I was like, I've made a grave mistake. I don't know anything of what I just signed up for. And everybody around me has their entire like 10 decade plan already lined out. And I was like, they have their parents to guide them. I was like, my dad doesn't know anything about a tooth. Nobody in my family is a dentist. But what's funny is fast forward four years later, all those people who came in chest out, like they knew where they were going to work. They knew what kind of dentistry they were going to practice. They knew what they were going to specialize in all this. Half of them hate the field. Mm. And me who came in completely naive to everything. I, I fucking love dentistry. I love teeth. It's so funny how it works that way. Because it's so counterintuitive to to how things work. What a story. You're very easygoing. <laughs> <laughs> I make decisions on a whim. <laughs> <laughs> I've had like my life plan every five years since I was like eight. I've been way too intense my entire life. Like was concerned about my grades in middle school. It's refreshing. You plan your own life <laughs> at eight. Yeah. And I would just revisit every five years. Way too intense. Yeah would do my like was really concerned about getting A's in at sixth grade like just looking back on it now I'm just you're such a troubled child but <laughs> um, aren't we all though? we're all troubled yeah. in different ways we all have our quirks and honestly the people who who are part of this community I think have you have to have so much trauma honestly you have to have so much trauma to to join a community like this genuinely I think that. And I think that I have that too. And I think that everyone's trauma is different. And I'm not saying, I don't say trauma like it's something that we need to be um, coddled for, people need to to be sad for us. But I think that you there has to be something so fundamentally twisted for you to take on this journey of starting this anonymous account. Mm. I thought and, you were talking about dentists. I was like, what? no, well, dentists are sick and twisted anyway, <laughs> but for different reasons. 
I don't think you need to have trauma to be a dentist. I just think you need to be sadistic and I'm, <laughs> and I'm definitely sadistic. But what I'm saying is for, for Bowtie, I think that like for the jungle, you definitely need to have, there, there is certainly a, a base level of trauma that you have to do to take this on. I t- actually agree with that to an extent. Um, you have to be really, um, what's the word? You have to be very willing to suffer. Like you can, <laughs> like yeah. compared to everyone else, you got to be ready to just take it on the chin and keep going, kind of thing. Oh yeah, it is like such a low. It's a very high ROI, but at first glance, it's the lowest ROI thing you could ever do. Yeah. And you have to go into it knowing that number one, the the chance of success is very small. And number two, even if you achieve success, whatever that means to you, you are severely handicapped because you can't even reveal your identity. Mm. So like, for example, I mean, for being anonymous is impossibly hard for me because I, I I'm lucky that I have a very good practice and like, you know, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm like, you know, the best dental practice in the country, but I, I, w- I would say I'm, you know, in a well above average dental practice. In the mm-hmm. Um, but like, if I revealed myself, do you understand? I would have a pipeline of patients for like 10 years People right. would fly to see me right. and, and, and people have asked many times. And, and at this point, being anonymous is, is a, it's, it's putting a weight vest on. It's making my life harder than, than if I were to just reveal myself, but it's fine. I, I'm, I have no plans to, but it's just, it's crazy that even, you know, this chance of success being anonymous is, is so low as it is, but when you achieve success, the, the anonymity eventually flips on you and it, and it causes you um the extra difficulty i mean there are other big anonymous accounts outside of the jungle too that i i follow just to understand how they do things and yeah i i'm i'm 100 a lifelong student in everything not just in teeth and like i there's there's these two anonymous accounts that i love that are jump not anything related to the to the jungle which is real estate trent who goes by strip mall guy mm. and there and there's the car dealership guy mm-hmm. okay. and these guys same thing right like they they have such a disadvantage by being anonymous so many deals would flow to them if they revealed themselves but they maintain it and 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 i just i just find the whole anonymous thing interesting i used to think it was a cowardice move but here i am doing it so i completely relate to that um starting a youtube channel anonymously it's a deterrent for a couple of reasons one you know, showing your face as a 23 year old might help you out with views. But number two is that it's a lot harder to make videos without a talking head because that right. it's a lot of time that you have to make with cartoon drawings now that you could just be talking there for a second. Yeah. instead. So it really takes out the, uh, the length of it. But one of the good things about being anonymous that I didn't realize when I started was you don't have this awkward stage of you're just starting out. You have 76 subscribers on YouTube and your friends from home can kind of make fun of you about it and be like, why are you spending your time on this? This is never going to work. The, there was never that part of it for me. Now it's like, if I ever do get found out by anyone, it's I have something credible now. I have something that yeah, I work for. you have for. a base level of success. Yes. And so you don't have that awkwardness of being scared of failing in front of your friends and family. 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Because anytime we put ourselves out there in life, you always have the people who chirp. Mm -hmm. You always have the people who say, oh, why are you doing this? Like, this is so silly, or it's unnecessary, or you could be spending your time on way better things. But when you when you don't, when you're commoner, I mean, you know, who's Who's who gives a shit? That? Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to tie that back to you? And then if it's a failure, I mean, you just go about your life as if it never happened. Yep. And you respawn as some other anonymous character yeah. and you do it yeah. all over again. Yeah. That's why I also like it too. Cause if you get canceled, I can respawn. <laughs> like, right. You have no idea. I just won't use my voice next time. Yeah. Or I'll start a different business in a completely different field. Like I'm a lot more resilient without my face out there. So I'm curious. I'm curious about you. Um, okay. How how did you find how did you find this whole place? Um, Cernovich okay. would retweet Bowtie Bull. And I found so the way I like to describe it was I was a Mitt Romney Republican up until 2020. And then getting locked in my house for two years made me go just completely bonkers, radicalized me. And so then I was uh listening to Cernovich, um Jack Posobiec, and like all of those different conservative twitter accounts and i really was like oh my gosh i understand now this this whole world order is a lot different than i thought it was and then they were uh, retweeting bowtie bull and i liked cryptocurrency because i was an econ major i understood that the dollar is destined for failure at this rate like when they took it away from the gold standard we lost all control over that so i understood it, the value proposition of bitcoin very well and so i wanted to know more about the crypto space in general and just what are all the altcoins? Like, what's the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum? Just very basic stuff. And so I subscribed to Bowtie Bull as a college student. And I told my friends to do the same thing. I'm like, this is really good advice. You guys should all do this and just subscribe for 10 bucks. And they were like, no, 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 we don't need to do that. That's the, the advice probably isn't even that good. It's like, whatever. And then he sends out the call to like join the jungle and start a business. And the uh, past few months, he had been explaining how I was just poor and broke and never going to escape the rat race. So I saw this. I was like, OK, I'll make an account. And I DM'd him. It was like, can I make an account? Here's my proposal. Here's my recommendation. Like, here's my resume, <laughs> basically. And he was just like, make account. Tell Bowtie Jungle to retweet it. You're good to go. Like, he actually responded when nice. I had no followers. That's and awesome. um yeah. And so I started Bowtie Commoner came from the one thing I knew how to do was how to get into college. And I had like a little business at my high school with all the people I had tutored where I was helping them write their college essays. I didn't write anything. I just helped edit and come up with ideas. But so I was like, OK, that's what I'm doing right now. Maybe I'll try to do it on the Internet. Nobody cared because everyone hates college and it's a bunch of 35 year old white guys. So that didn't work. <laughs> and then um so I started just making Photoshop memes and just trying to do something else. And then I randomly made this video that did really well. Bowtie Bull retweeted it. It was about like modeling the population of DGen Island, what percentage of the United States would get there. And it was just like really dry, abrasive humor in it. And that start that was the first video. I started making videos for other people in the jungle. And then I started the YouTube channel about seven or eight months ago. And we are 80 five percent of the way to monetization mr gator we are we're that's, so close that's awesome that's really that's really a nice accomplishment honestly yeah. i'm stoked i'm gonna get ice cream when it happens i have it all planned out honestly let me know when you get ice cream and i'll i'll share some ice cream with you virtually amazing is there <laughs> tooth friendly ice cream 
Um, <laughs> ice cream is actually not that bad because it's got it's it's dairy, so dairy dairy kind of helps out huh. um, with when you when you have sugar. Okay, good to know. Yeah. But the reason why I bring up the whole friends and family never going to know because I started this in my college apartment. And I would say no to things as a senior in college. Like, I don't want to go to this Darty. I don't want to, as a senior in college, I have nothing else to do. Everyone's, no one's taking classes anymore. Nobody cares. Everyone has their job already. So I didn't really have an excuse. I was saying, I have work to do. I'm working on my thesis. I need to read or something like that. And I'm making stupid Photoshop memes. If anyone saw me do this, they'd be like, what the heck are you doing? This is bizarre. You're like, this is silly. And it was like, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day, you know, the Saturdays I said no to those parties, those Saturdays, I didn't make anything that really pushed the needle for me. Like I, you know, you could say that that time may have been better spent with my college friends, but I needed every one of those Saturdays and every one of those Wednesdays nights that I said no to things to get to the where I am today. Like I needed to go through every iteration, every idea, every trial and error. So I don't regret it at all. I'm looking at where I am now. You shouldn't regret it. Yep. But it would have been weird. (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't know much about you as a person, but it, it also sounds like you, you are turning those things down now, but you have also lived, you had the college experience. So Mm. it's not like you're depriving yourself. You just knew when to bow out. Mm. And, and you know, when, okay, you know, I've had my run and like now, now I need to shift gears and focus on, on this. And, and that's important because I think that a lot of people, especially like this, this hustle culture on, on Twitter and stuff like that, they don't understand that like life experience really, really shapes you as a person. Mm -hmm. And it's important to to fully be present in in the phase of life that you're in and like I would you know you could argue that like you know I could say like oh commonerty you should have you should have been doing this your freshman year right but that's bullshit you should not have done that your freshman year the whole point of your your entire college experience gave you the social dynamics and the social skills of who you are and has shaped you and you have friends and you've had life experiences and that that shines through in a lot of this right if you did this when you were a freshman i don't know if this maybe would have been as successful because you would have deprived yourself of so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. and and i i know a lot of people may disagree with me on that but I'm I'm genuinely a believer that like, you know, a lot of my degeneracy as a, as a young kid and in my twenties is, is the reason why I'm very good at some of the things that that I'm good at now. That's a really interesting point. So then the question would be, for someone listening who hasn't started yet, what when should they start and start giving up some of those fun activities to focus on growing their business and improving themselves? What is the break-even point, I guess, when they should make that decision. Look, you pay now or you pay later, mm-hmm. okay? So if you go your entire life, right, as a, like being bred from the beginning as a as a child prodigy of business or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And you deprive yourself of these, of these coming of age experiences and, and, and just life and understanding the social dynamics of the world that we live in and, and, and understanding people, whether if you deprive yourself of that early, you're going to pay for that later. 
Mm. You may not pay for that financially, but you'll pay for it later. And that's where I think a lot of issues in middle age start to come to play, right? You know, people who get married way too young or people who never get married, you either pay now or you pay later. And, and, and I think that there's balance in everything. You should never do something too early or too late. But the, the trick is somewhere in the middle is figuring out when the right time is. And there really isn't, it's, it's not a science, right? It's a dark art to figure out when that is. But there's usually a voice in your head that tells you like, okay, we're done here, you know? Mm. And I think it's important to really listen to that voice and say, okay, this is no longer serving me, right? Mm. Like, and, and that's for anything in life. It's not just for partying or, or, or hanging out with friends or whatever. It's, it's with anything in life. It's to know when to fold. And there, some people can't listen to that voice. And some people go too hard in the extreme of hustling. And some people go too hard in the extreme of slacking off and just fucking around. I think that's a good way of putting it. And I completely agree with you that like your freshman year of college, don't give that up. Like <laughs> if you can't, like you get to meet so many new people for the first time ever, you're living away from home. It's just chaos. You're eating pizza at 3 a.m. and you're having so much fun. I would never give it away. No. But your third year going to the same bar every Thursday night, that you've been to with the same group of people. My school wasn't very big, so everyone who went out knew each other. Um, it it does get repetitive. It's still fun, but it's not. It loses that shine. Um, and I was thinking about this. If COVID had not happened, I may have never joined the jungle. It was that huge realization that the world is not what I thought it was, and I don't have nearly as much control as I thought I did. Um, that really made me put, you know, put the pens down, think about something else and just try this crazy thing that this investment account was telling me to do. But I don't think I would have done it if I hadn't been locked in my house for two years. No way. Maybe not, maybe not. But there is there is an element that you're that you're overlooking that that I think is important is that everybody who's in this community, right, mm -hmm. is they have they all have one common thing one common personality trait which is a deep sense of curiosity and willingness to be open-minded right mm. think about the friends that you told about bull and they're like oh fuck that that's stupid i'm not paying ten dollars a month whatever mm. everyone on who's made an account has had such a deep sense of curiosity and and open-mindedness that they said wait what is this mm -hmm. right and a lot of people lack that and and for you to have that yeah maybe you wouldn't have joined the jungle but that that is part of you and it always will be and it is such an asset that people don't realize and and i think that it would have served you in another way later on or it will continue to serve you but you can't lose that and it's and, and i think that every, it's so nice that everybody in this side of of the internet has that in common because if you think about it how could you be here if you didn't have that if you didn't mm -hmm. ask yourself like hey i know this looks crazy on paper that there's mm. this weird anonymous wall street guy posting about this but like in order to even engage you have to lower your um disbelief and you have to you have to lower your hesitations and your snap judgments and you have to really say i'm going to genuinely take a look at this 
Mm. And a lot of people never get there. I think that's a very fair point. And it's interesting that you say that because a lot of people in my life probably would say I am not super open-minded. <laughs> but, no, but most people aren't. They need, yeah. they need, it's like, not being open-minded is like a self-protection mechanism. Mm. They're protecting themselves. I think I'm not married to any of my opinions. I used to be, but now it's, this is what I think today. And if you present new information that changes my mind, I don't think I've lost in any way. Now I know better. Now I, I have a better understanding and now my opinion is different. That's an awesome way to live. You have to. Yeah. I think the past couple of years have really made me do that because I've been wrong so many times <laughs> that, <laughs> that you have to take that um, perspective on it. But I'd like to hear your experience in the jungle as someone who came in and you just blew up. You blew up in like two months or something. I had never seen you before. And then I looked and you had <laughs> 10,000 followers. Um, my position is one where I'm really learning from everyone. It's an amazing opportunity for someone like me to just be able to get anybody I want on the phone. And they'll they'll pick up. Like The fact that Bowtie Jester will pick up if I need him or something or have a question is incredible to me. So you're on the other side of that you're delivering the knowledge you're helping other people out and that's why you grew so fast what what was that like growing so quickly um in this thing okay so i'll give you kind of a, a, a flyover of, of my experience with with this account mm -hmm. i started it in june and i would say for the first two months i mean i was really shouting into the void i didn't know i didn't know what people wanted to hear i, I really didn't know what interested people I was really just going based on the fact that, like I said, with Fawn, I was like, all right, well, if they want to hear about washing their face, they'll definitely want to hear about brushing their teeth. <laughs> I eventually realized, you know, this is a critical mistake a lot of people do. They start an account and they're like, they're tagging Elon Musk and they're tagging <laughs> like, Dude, come on, man. You got it. Like, I don't know who you think That's you are. So true. It's, not gonna, it's not gonna go that way. It's not gonna go that way. You got to work your way up the totem pole. And I don't mean when I when I say this way, I don't. Yes, this is strategic, but it's not. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm really not opportunistic where I'm like, you know, everybody's just a, a pawn in my game. It's really not the case, but it's going to it may sound that way when I describe the strategy to, to win on Twitter. You have to you have to play in your league, right? It's like the same thing with dating. Like if you're kind of a, a chubby dude with not a great job you don't go after like a 10 out of 10 supermodel who's on billboards you know mm. so you have to you have to engage with people in your zone and when you're first starting out you know a perfect example of of someone who who really understands that is a bowtie biker mm. is the guy who does all the mountain bike stuff mm -hmm. he really understands you know, okay, I'm first in the beginning, at least he's like, I'm first starting out. You just need to engage with people who are at your level mm -hmm. and make friends. It's so simple. And again, this goes back to what I was saying about like, you need those life experiences, right? Because at the end of the day, Twitter is, it's social media, but it's just people. So in the beginning, I really didn't know I would post these weird, obscure memes that like no one really understood. And like, you know, I, I I knew that I wasn't going to employ the tech, the strategy that dentists use on Instagram with like posting, you know, my cases because they don't care. Um, So I started to like employ the like, you know, using 
common misconceptions of dentistry about like cavities and you know brushing your teeth and and you know myths just general myths of of things that people are misled about by by their dentist and and common dogma mm. um and and i'm not gonna lie to you like the the whole summer of last year like i i think in like three months i maybe had like a hundred followers it was not mm. it was not a, a as a meteoric of a rise as 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 it sounds but then then when i started to grow it really didn't stop mm. um and you know a lot of that i i have to you know give shout out to people who supported me like so many people supported me fawn would retweet everything that i that i did and she had you know thousands of followers when i mm -hmm. had you know. but me and fawn had like kind of a a nice synergy right mm -hmm. because oral care and, and skin care are are really um there's there's just a lot of synergy in those two topics it's like very similar to how bangle and cobra mm -hmm. are both on the physical therapy side of things and like they're like a good one-two punch so it's a really good strategy to like find someone who you have synergy with on your coming up and then and and you know kind of propel each other and slingshot each other into growth mm -hmm. me and Vaughn did a lot of co-tweets we like I said we would reply we were like a, we were like a dynamic duo and we were like kind of a personality you know mm -hmm. and um that that helped a lot but what happened was in December in December was really where things started to get crazy because um, I I made a stupid tweet about tipping. It's completely unrelated to dentistry. Hmm. I was just saying how like tipping culture is like out of control because like oh you know, yeah you go to you go to a you go to a store and like they flip an iPad over and like it's like telling you would you like to tip twenty five thirty or fifty percent on on this coffee that I didn't even make yeah <laughs> um. And Cernovich retweeted it. And my phone basically just gave up. Like yeah. it, it didn't, at that point, I still had notifications turned on. Like I, I, I had never gotten any kind of attention like that in my life. Um, and it resulted in like three followers. And it was like 28 hours of just like being yelled at, retweets, likes, replies, like, it was so much activity and it meant nothing it meant absolutely nothing and i woke up i remember it was like on a sunday that it happened and i woke up monday and i was i don't want to make it sound like i'm pissed at cernovich for retweeting me but i was pissed at the outcome right mm. and i just woke up and i was like out for blood and, and i was like i think i even said to fawn i was like I'm fucking going viral today and I'm doing it in a way that's going to be meaningful because that was such a tease yesterday. And like, all I did was get all this, you know, negative attention and, and nobody stayed for what I'm, what I'm putting out there. Mm. And so I, I wrote a thread <clears throat> about how the dentist was a scam and everything I wrote in that thread is true. I just used a lot of the techniques that um, people use, like, you know, hooks and, you know, kind of images that were intriguing to get you to stop scrolling. Mm -hmm. And that blew up. Mm. Like, it, it, it went crazy. And so now I'm like, okay, I said I was going to do it and I did it. And then the next day I was like, maybe I can do it again. 
And so I ended up doing it three or four times that week. And so every thread I wrote just freaking took off. And so I went from like, in a matter of like, uh, it was like four or five days, I went from like 7,000 to like 26,000. Wow. Yeah. And then I, ever since then, I've been honestly avoiding that because it is so, that, that experience will gen- genuinely take years off your life. Like the amount of people that just screech and yell and, yep. and, and just attack you. It's not for the, it's not for the faint of heart. And and I, I know a lot of people who, who, who do it day in and day out and like understand the formula of how to do it, which by the way, you need a base level of followers to do that. Right. Like, right. You know, I think you need between five and 10,000 followers to really do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it worked. And, and I think, I think that I could do it again if I really wanted to, but I'm at the point in my, in my Twitter career where like, I don't really need more followers. Like mm-hmm. in somewhere around 30,000, I was like, okay, I'm happy with this. Like, I really just genuinely want to enhance the the bond that I have with people. And like, if I could impact these, these, you know, 30, whatever thousand people, then I'm good, right? Like, I feel like I have the reach that a dentist should have. And, and if anything, I, I probably have too much of a reach for a dentist on Twitter. So I'm, I'm very much at a point where I'm nurturing the people that I have and just trying to educate them and help them um i'm not really in a growth phase anymore Hmm. does the idea of thirty thousand people reading what you write ever get to you like that's a ton of people you ever think about that um i used to think about it when when like it was all very new like when i went from like seven to 25 very quickly it was like i i was almost i didn't know what to say like yeah that's interesting there was like a point where i was like oh god like i did it but like what the fuck do i talk about now yeah like and i felt like you know what the hardest thing for me with with twitter is that you have to be an expert at repeating yourself right because Mm. people come in and they don't they're not caught up on all the shit that you've talked about so like in my mind i'm like i put out a banger of a thread on root canals it's there I, if I, if I say it again, all all I'm, all I'm doing is pissing off the people who have been here from the beginning, but Mm -hmm. that's not true. You're not supposed to do that. Like you have people who come in and they have no idea about that thread and they have no idea that it exists and they don't know anything about root canals and they need to know. It's something I'm still working on. Right. But like, you have to genuinely be a master of like understanding your core five to 10 bullet points of, of knowledge and repackaging them in ways that are fresh because people are coming in and people are leaving. Right. So you're like, you're at the, it's like almost like you're at a comedy show and you have like a mic and, and just, it's a revolving door. And like, you know, after four hours, you're like, Oh, I just said that joke four hours ago, but now four hours later, there's no one in the room is the same. Everybody's new. So you're thinking in your head, I can't say the same joke, but no one's heard the joke. That's a really good way of putting it. And I think Ox is so good at that. Because I he wonder, really good at that. Um, Ox and Fawn are both really good at that too. Like, how much can you tweet about going to the gym? You know, the, the principles, he's already explained it so many times. I know yeah. how I need to structure my workouts. I know what I need to be eating. I know how what progressive overload is. But I always read his tweets. Right. But, you exactly. know, <laughs> or even writing a sub stack about fitness. I always wonder, like, what, how many 
how can you make this new enough to write a new article every week? That it's is hard. the skill. So it's you hard. start, you have to start with the knowledge base and be an expert. And then you also have to have this skill where you can repackage it every week in a new and interesting way. Right. That's and the, that's the really tough stuff. Part. That's, that's really where it becomes magic is when you right. can figure that out. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert on that. I'm not. And, and, um, I am working on it. Um, you know, I, I envy a lot of people who have, you know, made, made the income that they can do this stuff full time, because mm -hmm. it's, it's also very difficult for me. I work full time. I work like 50 hours a week at the office. Mm -hmm. And like, I've basically gotten in this groove where like, I'm just tweeting in between patients and like, while they're getting numb and stuff like that. So I'm not really fully present even when I'm tweeting and, and it's hard. It's difficult. Um, mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it, a lot of it too comes down to the fact that like, when you are the purveyor of the information, you think that like, you put a magnifying glass on your content, but what you don't realize is you're one of hundreds or thousands of people on their feed. So even if you're repeating yourself, there's so much information in between. It's not like they're scrolling through your timeline only, right? Like right, right. they're going to get some stuff about me with gingivitis. And even if I say that stuff a week later, they've seen so much other stuff, not about dentistry that like seeing another thing about gingivitis again is, is not going to be intrusive. But for me, it's like, oh, I just talked about that. But there's been so much that has happened in that reader's life that like, it's not, it's not a bad thing to, to kind of repeat and repackage the information. That's a really, really good point and something I really struggle with, especially on YouTube. I feel like when I've made a video about a topic, that's it. I can't go back to it. Whereas right. the really big channels, you know, and I'm in the manosphere. So I see the people who have this delusional girl gets wrecked or feminist is triggered. And it's, they have the same conversation with a different girl over and over and over again. Yep. And people, that's what is good for the algorithm because the audience knows what they're going to get. That's what they want. That's what they're coming back for. So repetition is actually what makes you grow. And when I started, I thought that I couldn't go back to anything I've already done. Um, yeah, it's very hard. Yeah. It's not, it's not easy. On the topic of like dynamic duos, you and Fawn have launched the first, I don't know if it's the first, I don't want to say that, but one of the first jungle products that is made and manufactured and it's a physical thing so that we have farmer honey, we have farmer soap, we have some other things, but you guys did your toothpaste. Right. How did you come up with the idea and what has that been like? Okay. So this goes back to 2018, actually. How? I, I've talked about this a little on the timeline, but I have a condition. It's a very benign condition called geographic tongue. And what that is, is it's called geographic tongue because your tongue looks like a map. And there's like these little spots of irritation that like almost look like swirls around your tongue and, and the swirls move, right? Mm. And you become very sensitive to spicy foods, to citrus and also to some of the ingredients in toothpaste and it basically feels like there's battery acid on your tongue it sucks and in in dental school when we learned about it um i was the only one in my class who had it and they like laid laid me back in a chair and <laughs> looked at me and stuff like that um there there are debates as to where it comes from but it's it's more or less to be considered 
to have an autoimmune origin, right? Mm. It's like it's very associated with people who have like IBS and Crohn's disease. But just because you have one doesn't mean you have the other. But the 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 concept is that they they kind of come from the same general universe. And so it comes and goes. But there was one thing that really made it worse was like most toothpaste really really aggravated it. And um, so I was like in my. I came up with the idea at some point in like residency and I started to work on it. Like I would, I was doing so much research on like all the ingredients in toothpaste, um, like what, uh, you know, SLS, like sodium oral sulfate is like this industrial detergent and it can cause like, you know, it's in a lot of um, consumer products like skincare and toothpaste and stuff like that. And it can cause skin irritation. So like, I was just going down this like rabbit hole of all these things that could possibly be the cause for what was aggravating my tongue. And so I was like, you know what, this is bullshit because all the toothpaste with fluoride have this stuff. And then all the toothpaste without all these detergents, they, they have like nothing to remineralize your teeth like mm. fluoride but they, they they remove the fluoride but they have nothing else like you're if you if you're going to take out the fluoride you have to add something that's good for the teeth right mm. it's not just some minty stuff that that yeah. you brush like it has to have a purpose and i i came up with this like rudimentary recipe and i ordered all this stuff on online and i like made it myself and um i um packaged it i bought these like little tubes and i my kitchen was like a little toothpaste factory mm. 2018 and i got all my friends and family on it and i went to go get it to like scale like right i was getting like quotes like with you know industrial chemists to like you know use the change the recipe to like make it work at scale and like i was getting quotes from like manufacturers and stuff like that and i hit a wall because the minimum order was like if 500,000 gallons of, of toothpaste. And I was like, wow. all right, well, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to put that kind of investment into this. Like right. I care, but I don't care that much. Like I'm not going to go take out a mortgage to, uh, <laughs> to start this toothpaste company. I didn't even have like, I had no plan. I had no business plan. I was just like, you know, if I can make a couple hundred tubes, like why not? Mm -hmm. So I kind of shelved the idea, but I kept all like my research and all the documents in Google docs and it's still there. And so one day um, I was talking to Fawn on like Discord and we were like joking. I would get this question all the time. Like when, when is there going to be a Gator toothpaste? When is there mm -hmm. going to be a Gator toothpaste? And I didn't really engage with those questions much because like, but, but little did they know is that like every time they would say that they would like, you know, reignite this whole mm -hmm. thing that I had worked on years ago. And so Fawn finally said something to me. She was like, oh, uh, when, when are you, when are you going to make a toothpaste? And I was like, well, I already have one made. So we just kind of have to do it. <laughs> and like, she got all fired up because like, she wanted, she wants to do like a skincare thing and mm -hmm. have like face wash and stuff like that. So I was like, look, how about this? I was like, I don't know how to make a face wash. I'm going to be honest with you. But I think that if we were to start a brand, it would make sense to do it together and eventually we will add your products in, but like we can start with this one since it's like already kind of done. We just have mm. to we have to find a better way to pull off the logistics. Um, 
so she was like yeah i'm done so like from that day on we became 50 50 partners which bull is i was gonna say which bull is very explicit about um not doing but um i if there's one thing about me is that i ignore a lot of advice so i continue <laughs> to do that and i respect bull and i respect his opinion very much but um i blatantly ignored ignored that uh that rule so yeah we we just kind of we got everything going and i um you know long story short is is we we figured out a way how to do it without without running into that issue that I ran into, which was this, the, the order of scale. Right. Mm. And the way, the way to do that was, was with the toothpaste tablets. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about the tablets too, is actually that I was able to remove a lot of the ingredients that I was forced to put in the, in mm. the recipe because toothpaste as itself has a lot of water in it. And when you have a product that has a lot of water, you need more preservatives so since toothpaste tablets are dehydrated, there there's like almost no water in them. You don't need to add all of these preservatives because it's made, it's more or less just a congealed powder. So it, it worked out in my favor because I was actually able to to make it even more of a reduced down bare bones formula. Mm. Um, and then there are all these other added benefits like they're pre-dosed, right? Like you don't need to know how much to squeeze out. Like it's mm -hmm. just a tablet. Um, the TSA won't take it from you when you go on an airplane. And, you know, you get to make it in a glass jar instead of a plastic tube. So there's like all these little hidden benefits about toothpaste tablets that I just didn't even consider. And I was actually like, I was forced to use a toothpaste tablet in order to get this off the ground. So that's kind of the, uh, the, the origin story of, of, of biome and, and knobs and, and kind of where it came from and, and how it came to be. Mm -hmm. Does any other toothpaste brand do tablets? I've yeah, never seen it before. There are a few. Yeah. And, and they're growing in popularity, actually. They're, they're, it makes a ton of sense. It does. Yeah. Some people still prefer the, the traditional, you know, tube of toothpaste. And, um, you know, there are, there are considerations where it would make sense, right? Like, for example, a lot of, a lot of the issues we run into with knobs is that, you know, it's not really that good for children because, um, you know, under a certain age, mm. there's like, there's a choking risk. Mm hmm. Um, so I think for kids, a tube of toothpaste still makes very much sense. And and it's something that we're kind of working on now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm fully converted, fully converted myself. Like I don't, I don't like using tube toothpaste at all. So for anyone listening, the main value prop is that there isn't fluoride in it, but it still cleans your teeth. It's in this really handy tablet thing. So you don't have to worry about squeezing out the tube and it freaking works. Yes. And the, the main thing about the, the, this versus other fluoride free toothpaste is that I I've included what's called nano hydroxyapatite. And, and that is, again, I think we talked about this earlier is that a lot of the fluoride free toothpaste don't replace fluoride right. with us. Right. Cause the whole thing of fluoride is that it, you know, despite the systemic effects, it does enhance the strength and resilience of your teeth against sugar and acid. Mm-hmm. Nanohydroxyapatite is a little bit different, okay? So it it doesn't make your teeth superhuman, but what it does is it's like um it's like a charger for your teeth and it brings them back to where they were before all the because the mouth is a very high traffic area, right? Mm -hmm. You're eating, you're drinking, you're you're breathing, it's get 
it's dry, it's wet. There's a lot that's happening and the teeth, the teeth take beatings and then they get restored. It's like a battery that, that gets charged and discharged and constantly throughout the day because acid and sugar pull nutrients out of the teeth and they have these little like microscopic Swiss cheese holes in them. And the saliva is a protective barrier against those things from your teeth, against the environment, right? Mm -hmm. And what nanohydroxyapatite does is that your teeth are actually made from very long rods of this form of calcium called hydroxyapatite. So if you want to think of hydroxyapatite as like Legos, and it's like stacks of Legos, Lego rods, mm. and, you, and, and your teeth are just layers of these rods and rods and rods. And so what happens is like, let's say you drink like orange juice, right? Mm -hmm. Orange juice is a great um, kind of quintessential example of something that's going to demineralize your teeth because it's got acid and sugar, like citric acid from the orange and mm -hmm. sugar. And what that does is it pull the acid pulls those hydroxyapatite Lego pieces out of your teeth, right? And when you, you, when you brush with hydroxyapatite, you put the Lego pieces back. Oh. So it's the same thing that your tooth is made of being replaced. Whereas fluoride attaches like the Lego piece, but it's not a Lego. It's like this weird, you know, otherworldly piece that happens to connect to the Lego piece, but it's not Lego, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's unrelated to the hydroxyapatite, the fluoride, but it does connect like the Lego piece. And the benefit of fluoride versus hydroxyapatite is that fluoride doesn't get pulled off the Lego string as easily as hydroxyapatite does. But the point is, is that it's a foreign agent. It's a fluoride. It's not a hydroxyapatite. Mm. So the nice thing about hydroxyapatite, like I said, is that you're putting back what was already there. It's the same thing that your tooth is made of just being replaced. So that's why I incorporated it. And, um, rather than than just take out fluoride and why do other toothpaste not use that substance i drop the appetite it's expensive ah okay <laughs> got yeah. it i mean it's that that's like that's just plain and simple right like um well first of all it's it's only been it's been around for a very long time but it's only been recently um the the way that it's produced has been brought down in price but even still it's it's very just it's just not known that well mm -hmm. so like there's 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 that right but but the main real main reason why is because fluoride is so dirt cheap i mean like mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure you can go on amazon and buy like a metric ton of fluoride like a like a gallon tub of fluoride which is enough to like you know that's enough for for a whole country yeah. and i'm pretty sure it's like 10 bucks like you could just wow so, so normal toothpaste is super high margin oh yeah yeah knobs yeah. is not. i mean one because we use expensive ingredients and two because you know the, the scale at which we're making this stuff is is nothing compared to correct right, right, right. very interesting so i would love to hear about the manufacturing process personally because this is one of the first products as i said from the jungle that yeah what's the regulatory things you have to get proofed how would you find a manufacturer who designed the packaging? Like what all these different pieces of this? Okay. So for the first iteration, I'll answer the packaging. I designed it myself, which oh. um, I thought, you know, I'm, 
I'm not a graphic designer, but I was very happy with the packaging that I mm -hmm. designed. Um, it is routinely called some of the ugliest packaging known to man. Uh, Fawn hates it, even though it's so funny because at the time, our, me and Fawn's like rapport was like still kind of new. And, oh, like, that's funny. She was like afraid to tell me that what I made was ugly, but like she hated it. And like she told me after it was already in production, I'm like, dude, why would you not tell me that? <laughs> Whatever. So anyway, the new packaging has been designed by by Apollo. Cool. Um, yeah, keep it in keep it in the family. Um, and he crushed it. I mean, that packaging is beautiful. But I, agree. I would say I still the box, like the mailing box, I I designed and we kept that because that that was acceptable. And <laughs> and I, I am I am more proud of the box design than I am of of the original label. Anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, the manufacturing process, I mean, look, there are not that many um toothpaste tablet manufacturers in the world. Uh, but there are a few and, and you can find them on, you know, you can find any manufacturer using a combination of Thomas net import Yeti, um, Alibaba, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, th there's, there's a wide range of databases in the world that you can, you can find manufacturers in any, in any topic, in any category, right? It's just a matter of picking up the phone or, or sending an email, and and then you just you just tell them what you want and it takes time right like it, it didn't it didn't happen overnight i had to give them my my formula and then they you know take it from a chemistry perspective and have to dial in all the um percentages and make sure that it's you know like for example the first the first formula i gave them like it the the ratios were off and the tablets just fell apart like they would just like mm. in your hand Rumble. So like you have to, you have to go through iterations where it's like, okay, you have to make compromises, right? Like this is my ideal formula, but it also has to work and it has to be shelf stable and it has to stick together and it has to taste good. So there there's like, you're going to go in any product that you make, there's what, even if it's clothing or toothpaste or whatever, it's, you're never just going to be like, oh, hi, um, I'd like to, I'd like to do this and, mm -hmm. and thank you. And then they're going to be like, oh, okay, that'll be uh x number of dollars thank you very much we'll ship it uh next week it's mm. it's never that simple right you're mm. always gonna have to iterate and and to be honest with you like even today like we're still iterating it right like mm -hmm. for example the, the there's an ingredient that i use that is a foaming agent um called sodium cocoa oil isothionate and and that comes from coconuts and and it's what the toothpaste foams causes the toothpaste to foam Whereas SLS, which is sodium lauryl sulfate, is the industrial detergent that a lot of um, traditional toothpaste use for foam. Mm. But the problem is that that SLS irritates my tongue, which is one of the main ingredients I had to ditch. Mm. And so I, but I like a foamy toothpaste. And again, like I know that um, you're not supposed to design products based on what you want, but that's how I do it. So I want, I didn't want to make a toothpaste that didn't foam. So I needed to find another way to do it. So the, the sodium cocoa isothionate comes from coconuts. It's got a great profile for not being irritation, like causing irritation and stuff like that. But the problem is some people think that it tastes like soap. Mm. So if you actually go through our reviews, even though our reviews are very high on the website, all the bad reviews are like, this thing tastes like I ate a bar of soap, blah, blah, mm. blah. And it's like, yes, okay, you're right. But like, I'm sorry, this is just, 
what we need to do to get foam. And like, I try to counteract it by adding more xylitol and adding other flavors to, to mask it. But, so, and, and it's also a very individual thing. Some people taste it and some people don't like some mm -hmm. people can't taste it at all. Like the, the aftertaste and other people say that it makes them gag and want to throw up. Mm. So like even today, like I'm trying to figure out a way how to keep the ingredient and the foam, but like get rid of that slight aftertaste. So I'm always iterating on it, even though like, you know, technically it's, it's, it's been finalized. So fascinating. And you were talking about adding more products to Biome, to the overall beauty brand. Um, I'm sure we'll hear more about that from Fawn as well. But what's the dream? You're going to continue to sell direct to consumer on your website? Will I ever find knobs in my grocery store? <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, a good question. Um, the, the dream is to create a line of products that give you full transparency of what's inside mm -hmm. and that have been painfully formulated to only have what's necessary mm. right the bare minimum of ingredients while being a pleasant experience to use and having uh, efficacy right like so number one it works number two it's not overloaded with unnecessary ingredients and and number three it it either tastes good or feels good Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so that's like th those three things are the pillar of pillars of biome. And we want to make as many products as we can to fulfill those three things. Mm. And so, you know, that that may involve, you know, more dental products. There's definitely a wide range of skincare products that Fawn and I want to make. Um, she's the big brain on that. And I, you know, I don't really know the first thing about skincare. So that's, you know. That's why it's it's a 50-50 partnership that makes sense yeah. to me, right? Because in a way, it's one brand, but it's two brands. Mm -hmm. Like Fawn doesn't know how to make a mouthwash. Mm -hmm. I would know how to make a mouthwash. I don't know how to make a lotion. Fawn does. Mm -hmm. So the, the, there's skincare and oral care are two separate disciplines of personal care. And one does not work without the other. So like, that's why we have designed this to be a straight 50-50 partnership and it and it's worked. And some people may be listening to this and be like, Gator, you were the stupidest person to ever exist on planet earth for, for saying that. I, I don't really care. In fact, <laughs> the entire the entire process of, of making knobs, I defied almost every piece of advice that I, that I got. That is so interesting. Um... And I got yelled at by everyone. <laughs> I don't, I don't give a shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't either if I was in your position. Yeah. I mean, um, it's one of those things. Like I, I knew what I wanted to do and, and I, I appreciate the advice that people gave me, but like, sometimes you really got to listen to your own voice. Mm. And I, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, I've done other things in my life outside of the scope of dentistry, like in terms of, you know, businesses and stuff like that. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but Biome is not the first business that I started. Mm -hmm. And without fail, anytime you tell someone that you're starting something, all of a sudden they want to be your, your mentor and give you advice about things that they learned or whatever. And there's value in that. But you need to, as, as someone who's starting a business, you have to have such an unshakable vision of what you're trying to do that 
advice comes in, but not all of it stays, right? Mm. So you take what you like and you leave what you don't. And some of it will yield being called a dumb idiot. Like people will be like, you are stupid and you're going to fail. And maybe they're right, but maybe not. Because the thing is, is that everyone's experience comes from their own life and nothing is directly analogous, right? So someone, for example, told me like, whoa, like you're, you ordered 2,500 jars of toothpaste tablets and you don't have a single customer yet. Like, what are you doing? And at the time when we ordered, when we ordered those 2,500 jars, by the way, I think I had less than 2,500 followers. So even if every single, even if every single follower of mine bought the toothpaste, like it, there would still be some left over. Um, but I knew what I wanted to do. Like I knew, and, and the person who gave me that advice isn't wrong. It's just mm -hmm. that they, I didn't care. Does that make sense? It does, totally makes sense. And it's a little, it reminds me of what Ox was saying about this self-confidence that you need to have at times you have to ignore everything you hear and just believe that you have, you have to believe that this thing is going to work enough to buy 2,500 tablets when you don't have 2,500 customers. Otherwise you'll never start. Um, right. Another thing that this is making me think of is that not a lot of people just have a handy dandy toothpaste recipe just sitting on the counter ready to start a business. So all of that work that you did put you in a position to succeed when all of a sudden you have an anonymous Twitter account with thousands of followers that you can sell this thing to. It's like you put yourself in a position to succeed four years ago without even knowing it. And if you didn't have this toothpaste formula ready, who knows if we would have started Biome this year? Who knows if you you and Fawn ever would have started business together if you didn't have a product right away? That's true. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that for sure. So it's just fascinating the things that you, the seeds that you're planting that you don't even know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can only, someone always tweets this this saying i forget who it is i think it's like steve jobs who said it but it's like you can only connect the dots looking backwards right mm -hmm. and it's true like i you can't connect the dots looking forward you just have to keep waking up you know going after what it is that you want to do giving it your all trying impossibly hard and then and then in the end you're going to look back and you're going to be like oh well that happened because of this and this happened because of that and you know, this was a blessing and, and this worked and, but you can't do that looking forward. You can only do it looking backwards. And it's again, that idea of those Saturdays that you gave up, that you dedicated to something, you don't know which Saturdays are going to be the ones that make the difference, No, but it's some of them. You got to, you have to, but you have to try every Saturday basically. Yeah. And I say Saturday because those are the days that I would do work, but whatever, you know what I mean? Exactly. Fascinating stuff. Um, I'm so excited to see where this thing goes and maybe one day I'll see it in my grocery store. Maybe. So, I mean, the, you know, the retail element of it all is, is something that um, we think about. Uh, it's definitely something that we want to do. We did just, um, we just got a pretty large, like basically a, a, a reseller bought like a bunch of knobs and they're mm. going to start selling it in the UK um i don't know what that's going to be like i mean you know all i know is that he bought them and they're on the way to him so you know 
we're going to at least start to see knobs being sold on different distribution channels and it's going to be interesting to see but that's probably going to be all online as well but yeah i mean look i would love it if you could walk into like target and buy knobs i would love that um is it is it impossible in the very near future i don't i don't know um but the reception has been good people love it um you know, more and more people are buying it and the people who have bought it before continue to buy it. So uh, we're very grateful for the people who who obviously trusted two, two cartoon animals online to put something in their mouth and brush their teeth with it. Um, the, the trust involved in that cannot be understated. And, and I, I, I genuinely, deeply appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see where it goes. That's a really interesting point about how much can you maintain your anonymity, can't say that word, if you were to put it in Target. Like, could, how much, did you make this business under your real names or how did that work? Um, No. So, I mean, well, it depends, right? Like, there, there are, there are levels to being anonymous and like, can't be anonymous to the IRS. Right. You know? So like <laughs> um, <laughs> the IRS knows who we are. Um, same thing with a bank account. I mean, like, you know, the bank, the bank has my information. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of the, my supply chain and stuff, like some of them have my name and some of them don't. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's, but, but again, I mean, tying back from the beginning, there's, there's only so much that you can do anonymous, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to make judgment calls about who you're going to reveal your identity to and who you're not, right? I mean, if you want to think about it this way, you you can draw the the hard lines in the sand about being anonymous all you want, but if you're subscribed to Twitter Blue, you're not anonymous anymore. Yep. Like, so, so already, you know, even if you haven't started a business, you've already broken the rule if you want to really, you know, be strict about it. Mm -hmm. So- how how do I get how do I make those decisions? Well, for example, um, I had someone reach out to me from a, from a pretty large podcast about advertising. Okay, they like the the host of of the podcast used knobs, and they they wanted us to advertise with them uh, because they they the host believe in the product. Mm-hmm. And I don't know these people, right? And these people have a large audience. So I am going to be super careful about revealing myself to them because they they could go on their podcast and be like, oh, Gator's name is blank. And, wow, yeah. it's, you know, so for them, even though I don't want to nerf the deal where I want to be on the podcast, they don't know my name. And you know what? They didn't ask. So yeah. you have to you have to pick your battles and understand like, for example, like with my warehouse, right? My my three PL is, um, is 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 like in Middle America because you want to be central to, to um, shipping all over the mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. and they don't understand this, right? And they don't, quite frankly, they don't give a shit who my Twitter is or whatever. They they want to work with the person and like. Uh, you, you probably don't have much experience with this, but warehouses are very picky and choosy about who they bring on as clients because mm. the big fear with a warehouse is that you're going to ship. I, th- their biggest fear with me is that I'm going to ship 10,000 jars of toothpaste and they're just going to sit there 
and that yeah. they're not going to move, right? So 3PL companies are very hesitant to bring on new clients that they don't know, especially a company like mine and Fonz, which is, you know, under a year old. They don't mm -hmm. know. They don't, and they don't know also how I'm selling the product. It's very hard when you don't have an audience to sell a product. You have to spend a lot of money on advertising to get people to buy your stuff. So that's an that's an instance where I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make a scene, right? They know my identity, they have my information, they have my mm -hmm. phone. Like that is going to be just a you have to understand the rules of engagement. Like you're gonna get you're gonna get give and you're gonna get take. And you're going to have to know, you're going to have to play it on a situation, situational basis of who's, who you can flex the anonymous thing to and who you can't. And so it's, it's just, a, it's just a game of, of, of knowing how to pick your battles. Fascinating stuff. So excited to see the first quasi anonymous beauty brand <laughs> <laughs> around yeah. the world. Um, well, this has been so much fun. So fascinating conversation um for those who are listening where would you like to direct them now i imagine it rhymes with dobs <laughs> <laughs> yeah check us out betterbiome.com um you can buy you can buy knobs there and if you if you don't like it just email us and i'll give you the money back mm -hmm. awesome annie's on twitter at bowtie gator dds yep and you can find them there um Thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Commoner. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. This has been yet another episode of Common Sense. If you liked the conversation, please consider hitting that follow button on Spotify. Oh, and tell everyone you've ever met to do the same. And while you're feeling generous, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel? I promise I've ridiculed at least one of the identity groups you dislike. You have a great day now. <laughs>